0: We're talking about um, Mildred Ella Babe Didrickson Zaharis. Okay, born in 1911, down near Southern Texas, and uh, this is quite a lady. This was she is quite a lady. It's quite a story. I'm uh, going me just jump into this because I want to talk about taking risks. And and as, as as you listen to this story, think about the 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 risks this lady took. We're talking in the 30s and the 40s. To be a female athlete, I mean, it's kind of it was kind of a comedy. The film clip you saw, but it was—I'm I'm afraid it was very accurate to the times, unfortunately. Um, Babe Didrichsen was an American athlete considered to be perhaps the greatest all-around female athlete of all time. She achieved outstanding success. Are you ready for this? In golf, basketball, and track and field, and a number of other sports as well. Um, she was actually born as uh, you have seen, Mildred Ella. Uh, Dedrickson in the oil town of Port Arthur, Texas. She acquired the nickname Babe. This was before we used some used that term um, in referring to good-looking women or whatever. Uh, she acquired the name Babe after Babe Ruth after she hit five home runs in a single baseball game with boys. Uh, both of her parents were immigrants from Norway, and she gained world fame uh, world fame and attention in track and field. And was an All-American in basketball. She played organized baseball, softball, expert diver, roller skater, and bowler. She won two gold medals, one silver medal for the track and field in the 1932 Olympic, uh, in the LA Olympics. 1935, she decided to pick up a new sport, golf. Uh, She was a late bloomer to the sport by which she would become famous. Shortly after, and these are just from different excerpts of different biographies of her, shortly thereafter, despite coming to sports so late, uh, she was denied amateur status. They had some really weird stuff in those days. So in January of 1938, she competed in the L.A. Open, a men's PGA golf tournament that a feat no other woman has even tried until 60 years later, Michelle Wee, Has now tried it, hasn't done very well, Annika Sorensen and Susie Whaley. Um, That's 60 years before any woman ever tried to play in a PGA tournament. Um, And, and, you know, guys, the day's coming. You know, I hate to say it, but the day's coming when some woman's going to compete in one of these men's tournaments and it's just going to be embarrassing. They're just going to run away with it for some of us, anyway. In that tournament, that PGA tournament in L.A., she was teamed with George Zaharis, a well-known professional wrestler and sports promoter. They were married 11 months later on December the 23rd in 1938 in St. Louis and later lived in Tampa, Florida on the grounds of a golf course that they bought in 1951. Babe went on to become America's first female golf celebrity and the leading player of the 1940s and early 50s. After winning back her amateur status in 1942, she won the 1946-47 U.S. Women's Amateur Golf Championship as well as the 47 British Ladies' Amateur Golf Championship, the first American to do so. And then she won three Western Open victories. Listen to this. She won 17 straight amateur victories, a feat that has never been equaled by anyone, including Tiger Woods. By 1950, she had won every golf title available. Charles McGrath in the New York Times wrote of Zaharis, except perhaps for Arnold Palmer, no golfer has ever been more beloved by the gallery. After being diagnosed with colon cancer in 1953 and undergoing surgery, she made a comeback in 1954, won the U.S. Women's Open Championship, one month month after cancer surgery. With this win, she stands as the second oldest woman ever to win a major LPGA championship tournament, Ladies Professional Golf Association. She also served as the president of the LPGA from 1952 to 1955. Her cancer reappeared in 1955, limited her schedule to eight events, but she managed two wins, which stand as her final ones in competitive golf. And then cancer took its toll. She died in 1956 at the age of 45. At the time, she was still in the top tier of a female golfer. She and her husband had established the Babe Zaharis Fund to support cancer clinics. And again, New York Times journalist Charles McGrath said this of Zaharis. She broke the mold of what a lady golfer was supposed to be. The idea in the 20s and 30s was Joyce Withered, a willowy English woman with a picture book swing that produced elegant shots, but not especially long ones zaharis developed a grooved athletic swing reminiscent of lee trevino's and she was so strong off the tee that a fellow texan the great golfer byron nelson once said he only knew of eight men who could outdrive her it's not enough just to swing at the ball babe said you've got to loosen your girdle and really let the ball have it (laughs) she was known for things like that saying things like that um Six occasions she was named the Associated Press Female Athlete of the Year. She was voted the woman athlete of the first half of the 20th century in a poll conducted by the AP. She was named the top woman athlete of the century by the AP in 1999. She was named 10th. This is pretty impressive. She was named 10th on a list of the 50 greatest North American athletes of the past 100 years for ESPN's Sports Century, the only female athlete in the top ten. It's an amazing story. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Some of us can remember that it wasn't that popular for women in athletics. I'm I'm telling you, when I was in high school, in the 60s, women just didn't do that. And if they did, they were made fun of or called names or categorized in, in, at the time, very unfavorable ways. Well, I think the life of Babe Zaharis really epitomizes the taking of risks. Took some huge risks. Keep in mind, this is South Texas, too. I mean, it's still a third world country in South Texas, not literally. But, I mean, it's always, you can always make fun of Texans. They can handle it. Now, this is South Texas, where women still are concerned about, you know, big hair and big boots. Big boots. Okay? B-O-O-T-S. Um, okay? Okay? Make sure we understand each other here on that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's still, it's still that way to some degree. So here's this, this tomboy, you know, and she wants to just play with the guys and then just beats them. Just beats them. Just whoops them. It's just like, wow. And, she, and, and, it, and it took a lot of, I, I love the song that Julie sang, saying, it took a lot of bravery to, to, to just step out and do that. I want to talk to you about that kind of attitude of taking risks. I want to talk to you about that. I want I want to start with a one of my favorite quotes. I've used part of this before. I love it. It's from President Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt. Far better it is to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs even though checkered by failure than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. All I can say to that is here here. So true. Drucker says this, people who don't take risks generally make about two big mistakes a year. People who do take risks generally make about two big mistakes a year. (laughs) A great thought, a great quote when you think about that. I want to take a look in the Bible um, of what happened when some of God's people were told to take a risk and they didn't do it. And I want to show you what happened in their lives when they didn't take those risks, and what would have happened if they had. Because I'm, let's, let's let's be honest, let's be blunt about this thing. Sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do. And we're gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna break this down for you in a moment. We talk about risk, and and and, and we got to kind of figure out each one of us. Got to have to figure out what that means to me, uh, because we're all in different places in life. We're all in different different places along the journey of faith in our own lives, or the beginning of it, or the middle of it, or wherever that happens to be. But um, I want to talk about that. This, I'm going to take you to the Old Testament, children of Israel, people of God in the Old Testament. And um, maybe you know the story, maybe you saw the movie, Ten Commandments. Um, didn't really cover it in the movie, The Ten Commandments, but but uh, it's the story of, of the children of Israel coming out of slavery. And, and, and they just generations upon generations of slavery god miraculously brings them through what we call the red sea it's actually the sea of reeds and there's all kinds of controversies did the sea really part or was it was it just a, a you know a favorable wind that kind of blew things you know who cares uh it worked and they got out of slavery and it was some kind of a some kind of a of a red sea parting of some sort that happened 18 months later, or right around 18 months later, uh, they've crossed over what we know as the Sinai Peninsula, and uh, they are really uh, on the edge of the land that God had promised them, called the Promised Land, which we now know of uh, as modern-day Israel for the most part. And, and if you know the geography, they're on the other side of the, uh, of the Jordan River, coming in from the east into Israel, uh, or the Promised Land as they know it. Moses is their leader. He sends 12 spies into the into the land. And it's a, it's a very primitive, I mean, this is a primitive culture, obviously. Even more primitive is the promised land because they have the Canaanites, and we'll go through all the different ites that are there in just a moment, but they are, they are a barbarous people. They are a people who, 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 I can't even go into some of the things they did. Let me just, they would do child sacrifice, um, just um, uh, horrible things with their children in different ways. and so It's just an awful culture. So they know they have to take over this country and this land, <clears throat> and in doing so, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be several battles, actually. So Moses sends 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel, 12, 12 tribes of Israel, and he's going to send uh, 12 spies into the land to spy it out. Number one, they want to see, is it really... The promised land. Is it, it really the land of quote-unquote milk and honey, as the, as the Old Testament teaches? And, and and number two, what are these people like that are there? And number three, how well are they defended? Okay, Because this is going to be a big risk. This is a big deal. It's a huge risk. So he sends them in. They come back. That's where I want to pick up the story from the Bible and show you this, all right? Because this is pretty... Uh, pretty amazing stuff. Chapter, uh, we're in in Numbers, chapter 13, verse 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the people of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. And it was, you know, it's really good apparently. This was their report to Moses, we've arrived in the land you sent us to see and indeed it's a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey, here are, here, here are some of its fruits, it's proof. But the people living there are powerful and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. We also saw the descendants of Anak who are living there. That's the term for giant. They were big people. There's all kinds of explanations as to how they got that way, but they were bigger than the average person. And uh, so that's when I mean, they were giants. He says the Amalekites are feared people, a warring tribe. They live in the Negev, which is the desert. And the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and and along the Jordan Valley. And see all these all these names they don't mean anything to you, possibly, but they meant something to these guys. And it's like saying, boy, you have got these guys over here. You got the you know you got this group of people and you got this group of people and this warring troop of people and they're all to be feared. They're brutal, they're big, they're bad. Then we hear from one of the risk takers because he's trusting in God, Caleb. Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses. I love his attitude. Let's go at once, take the land. We can conquer it. We can certainly conquer it. There were only two, Caleb and Joshua, who would say that. But the other sissy boys who had explored the land with him answered. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't say that, did I? That's, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the, other, the other men who had explored the land with him answered, We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread, they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites. The land we explored will swallow up any who live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them, and that's what we look like to them. Then all the people were freaking whiners. <laughs> Sorry, that's my version. That's my version. Let me read it to you <laughs> from the text. I mean, that's really an accurate version. I got That's really accurate. All the people began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Actually, I, th- I, thought, I thought my censor would clean that up for me. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, they were. They started whining, and they wouldn't go. And let me tell you what happened. And, and it goes on, and it goes on into the next, in, in, in chapter 14 quite a bit. And let me just kind of summarize it for you very quickly. What basically happened was they said, we're not going to go. We're not going to do this. There's only, it's 10 to 2. That's why the majority is not always right. Okay, it's 10 to 2 and and they say we're not going to go and they spread all this stuff among the people and They wouldn't go and so here's what happened God basically said, okay Then two two guys are going to see the land jacob Joshua and his family and caleb and his family And the rest of you aren't going to see the promised land and you're going to waste away For 40 more years for 40 more years in the wilderness in the desert Here's what I don't understand about this, and this is true about risk taking and anything. It's not like they were living in the Ritz. They're in a it's a desert. It's desert. It's awful. I've been there, and it had to be worse when they were there. It's a terrible country. Are coming from slavery generations upon generations i don't, I don't know man oh, i'm kind of like in my comfort zone isn't it amazing what we get comfortable with and we're afraid to break out of and, and, and we're afraid to take some risk when it's like why it's got to be better than this why no one said that or why no one acted upon that i can't explain i just know jacob and or caleb and excuse me joshua were the ones saying come on this this is ridiculous if god says this is our our blessing this is what we're going to do they wouldn't take a risk to gain tremendous blessing they wouldn't take a risk to gain tremendous blessing now, i want you to think about that i want to make three real quick points and i want to come back to that statement It wouldn't take a risk to gain tremendous blessing First thing I want to tell you is that stepping out on faith is a dangerous thing. Stepping out in faith is a dangerous thing. Whether you're trusting Christ for the first time in your life, which some of you here have done or have thought about doing, or whether you're trusting God for just the next stage of your life, there just aren't any guarantees. And you know, faith in itself is scary. Faith is faith. Think about that a minute. It's it's there's not always there's not empirical evidence. You're stepping out in faith. That's why it's called faith, because there's still some measure of doubt. So it's always crazy for me when people talk about living a life of faith, even just just faith in God. And inevitably, people will say, "I've heard this. I, I've heard this all my life. It just..." Kind of started registering the last few years. Um, is it okay to have doubts? I'm like, huh? Is it okay to breathe air? We all have doubts at times. This doesn't mean we're not people of faith. Doubts about different things. Some things pertaining to God. Some things not. Stepping out in faith is a dangerous thing. Don't forget that. If these people had had, had moved when they were supposed to, and when they did 40 years later, it was still a dangerous thing but it would also be the cause of tremendous blessing. That's the first thing. Stepping out in faith is a dangerous thing. The second thing is we all have to live with faith in something. I mean, it's not like we have a choice here. We all have to live with faith in something. Um, what's the alternative? Trusting myself? Trusting the person who's... Fallen, sometimes petty, sometimes jealous, sometimes judgmental, often self-centered. That's the, that's the alternative. I think I'll trust Jesus. It makes a lot more sense to me. Third thing about this, staying, and, I, and I'm already touching this, but I'm going to say it again. Staying in the safe mode or the comfort zone. The comfort zone is a term we like to use. Staying in the comfort zone or the safe mode can also be a very... Dangerous, damaging thing it was to these people because they stay there. It was comfortable to them, and that when you look at what was comfortable to them, you're like, "What are you missing here?" And yet we do the same thing sometimes. You know, and 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 here's here's it's amazing how comfortable we can get in uncomfortable conditions, isn't it? I mean, I've seen this, and you've seen this sometimes, whether it be something as extreme as a person doesn't want to leave an abusive home because it's become comfortable. How sick is that? Happens. To someone who stays in a particular company, even though they are abused like everything, because it's comfortable to them. Or in a relationship, or or, or, or whatever it happens to be. Maybe just in their life, just in their life, just their, their stale, boring, day-to-day life. And instead of taking some chances, and, 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 and I'm going to talk about what some of, those, some of those risks might be in just a moment, they just stay there because somehow in some weird way it's become comfortable, much like the people here, with the people of God here in the Old Testament. And that is why, let me just say this, and i want to expand upon it just for a moment. That is why we need Jesus. Because a relationship with Christ gives us a unique ability to be deepened, to grow, to see life from a better perspective, to not be so self-focused and to be challenged to make a difference. Whatever that might mean to you, to be challenged to make a difference. Now, you know, obviously when I talk about challenge, being challenged to make a, a difference and why we need Christ to help us have that perspective, I, one of the things I think of, well, well, are we all going to be Wilberforces? William Wilberforce, the great, uh, the, I saw the, the movie's coming out, by the way. Uh, some of you have heard about, we, we have a guy, that if you don't know, who he speaks for here from time to time, Eric Metaxas, who just wrote a book on his life. Uh, the book, the movie, Amazing Grace, comes out uh, February 23rd. I saw it last week week and a half ago, in, in the city, and it's just a great movie. And it's going to be coming to a theater near you. It's not some little christian type of movie either. I mean, it's, a, not that that's bad, but I mean, it's, a, you understand what I mean? It was produced and, and, and so forth by the people who did Ray, the story of Ray Charles. Um, great movie, like, uh, uh, just tracing the life of Wilberforce, who, who single-handedly believed it was God's will for him to fight the abolition of slavery. In, in new in, in in England in the UK, uh, in the eighteen in seventeen eighteen hundreds, it's an amazing. It was a forty six year quest for him. Some of you know the story. He died three days after the law passed, and the movie depicts what happened and how. how Year after year after year, and it shows sort of the human side of him and and, and, the, and the perseverance okay that's that 's certainly someone who 's making a difference who 's taking a risk because of what Christ has done and laid in, and put in his heart and so forth that 's an example we 're not all going to be wilber forces i don 't know how this works for you for some of you. it may be something that someone else may think is as simple of taking a, as a, taking a risk but it's not simple to you as walking next door and talking to a neighbor. I talked about it earlier. It may be something as simple as inviting someone you know, this is just an example, to the Super Bowl party next week at, at Renaissance Church. You say that's kind of silly. Not for some people it's not. For some of you it may be something a lot less a lot a lot more complex. For some of you it might mean a life change. For some of you it might just mean Trust in Christ. Right from the beginning. For some of us it might mean a deepening trust in Christ. Seeking to, to really allow Christ to take over, to take over my life and, and to start me allowing him to do some things in me and changing some personality characteristics or some 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 obnoxious traits that, that really need to be changed. You know, I don't know how this looks for you. But I will tell you this God brings tremendous blessing when we take some risks that are to honor Him. I'm not saying you go out and you risk everything for all, everything. I'm not saying take a risk for the sake of taking a risk, but with a purpose, with an understanding that, that there's blessing that follows when that's done in a way that's going to honor God first as well as people. There was tremendous blessing to be received if these people had just taken a risk, but they wouldn't do it. They were on the brink of it. They were on the brink of it, and they wouldn't do it because they didn't want to step out of their comfort zone. I want to close with this one last thought that comes from C.S. Lewis Writings. C.S. Lewis, of course, a great writer from England and wrote many things, among other things. The most recent thing that you might know, of course, is Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. Um, that was uh, quite the movie last year. And there's a, there's a, there's a part in that movie where Aslan the Lion, who was a type of Christ and represents Christ, um, when, when Lucy, the little girl, says to uh, Mr. Beaver, if you know the movie, she he, he, he says, Is he safe? Speaking of Aslan, the lion, type of Christ, is he safe? Mr. Beaver says safe. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. That's Jesus. There are some risks involved, but he's good because he's God and he's the king. And we trust him. Let's pray together. God, we... We are awed by the subject. We are moved by a life that wasn't afraid to take risks. And God, I pray that each one of us would think and rethink again what that means to each one of us. As I said, some of us, God, it's going to be a, maybe what appear, appears to others to be something simple, but not to us. For some of us, it may be something much Bigger, much more complex. Wherever we are, and that whole spectrum of, of of life and faith, God, I pray that we would be um, inspired. We'd be moved to not be afraid to take those risks. We're thank We're thankful, God, that you that we have Jesus who lived and suffered and died and rose again, to to give us the ability to have a relationship with you and and to give us the ability to know what it means to have the Spirit of God in us, to give us this unique ability to be deepened and to grow and, and to see things from a different perspective when we need to and when we can. We pray that and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.